interesting week already man uh i guess closing out february in a strong stance to be quite honest with you but check this out check this out uh a story came across my feed that mm-hmm. i thought was which for your only fans feed or <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad i'm sorry i won't interrupt go ahead <laughs> already you listen you say that often enough, my wife might start believing you. You need to cut that shit out. She you try to break up a happy home, Listen, I'm gonna bite uh, your ass. Cash up, Elgin Belly. I'll send you, see, you all the all the time, all the time. <laughs> but check this out, man. Honestly, man. So I saw this. <laughs> so I, a story came across my feed where mm-hmm. a woman uh, got into a dispute with her husband and stabbed her husband several times. The reason for the dispute was that the husband had a picture of a younger woman on her phone. She found, she got his code, unlocked his phone and saw this picture of this young bitty on his phone and got mad at him and uh, shanked him for it. Come to find out that the picture was of her from 20 years, from 20 years ago. And that he had the picture somewhere in one of his little boxes, got it uploaded digitally and put it on his phone. And she saw this picture of herself, didn't recognize herself, thought he was stepping out on her, and almost ended this man's life for it. No, she almost ended his life for a picture. It was some other shit that happened way before that picture took place. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't don't know. I, I, I'm I, just someone who's almost been stabbed. I don't know. I, I don't know. What has happened is. <laughs> I don't know that she saw this picture and it became an issue of contention. So I'm just saying for all you guys that are going to be digitally uploading pictures of your younger, your wife when she was younger, and I put that in quotes because you know no women age, no woman ages. They just you know, refine themselves. Were they white? Because that no, nah, they weren't. No, I didn't think so. They were light skinned though. I guess you thought that was going to be a, a good joke there. Because you know good. it's you know, you know you can't control any anyway. That's a that's a whole another that's a whole another thing. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? What's up? What is up? Back once again. It is the incredible in the black podcast. And in case you weren't aware, this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who already have seats saved in the pews. I am your host. Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. But as usual, I can never do this alone. Let me introduce the rest of the, rest of the defenders. Crush, say what's up, man. What's good, everybody? No doubt. Elgin, say hello. The defenders? I'm Luke Cage, of course, but go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 that's okay. Which Luke Cage? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> swir- can you just swir- say hello for once? You like to stop Luke all or, the extra. Yeah. Why uh, you gotta be... <laughs> I'm just asking a question, bro. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing, man? What's good out there? Oh, 
I'm just checking the temperature, bro. See it Whatever, man. And joining us tonight is Reverend L. Thomas, a pastor from the Bethel Church in Chicago of, is it in uh, Champaign? Champaign, Chicago, is that right? Champagne, yeah. No doubt. Reverend Thomas, man, what's going on? Thank you for jumping in here with us, man. Man, thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for, for having me. This is... Uh, have to be the liveest show I've been on. And I've been <laughs> <laughs> y'all, y'all win. This is the blackest show. This is like this. This is black. I got to remember I'm a reverend in here tonight. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> is that what it is? Black. Then you don't have to worry about it too much. You know, L's always going to bring us. You know, Damn, bro. he brings he brings it down some for you. Know next time, mind you. Hold on. Go ahead. <laughs> if you're checking this out on YouTube, make sure that you smash that thumbs up button, give this a like, and make sure you subscribe so that you can, uh, well, so you don't miss out on the next show. Hit the thumbs up, hit the thumbs down. We'll be back next week either way, so it don't really matter. But before we get started, L, please tell these good folks where they can find us if they'd like to find us and all that other good stuff, man. Hey, man, head on over to our website, www.intheblackpodcast.com. In the right-hand corner, you can click Become Member of the Family tab. <laughs> Underneath that tab, you can be, uh, you can get swag. Swag is, you know, translation, clothes and shit. Uh, you can become part of our Patreon. You can do Cash App, Dollar Sign, Elgin Bailey. Uh, you can do all of those great things. But listen, man, on a serious note, I know we joke all the time about the, the donating and the Patreon and the Cash App. But in order for anything to run and grow and to be successful, no matter how you may feel about capitalism, you are underneath a capitalistic system and shit needs to be paid for and money needs to come in. So in order for us to grow, be better and to go to bigger platforms, we need y'all to come through and do what it do, man. Uh, cash out, donate patreon buy swag all those things man and we sincerely appreciate all you folks who do donate and come through you are family no doubt no doubt now we're going to jump into the meat and potatoes of the show tonight with our black box letter and of course uh it's an interesting one we joke we joke very often about our white listeners listener Um, only one go ahead (laughs) and they always have a problem with your we're going to talk. We got <laughs> Yo, but we joke all the time about our white listeners, but we got an interesting letter this week um, about a young man that's actually adopting children. And I want to go ahead and get that started. So it's from William and William writes, love what you all do and learn a lot from the show. Have some fun laughs too. As far as your listeners go, probably safe to say I'm in the minority. I'm a middle-aged white guy. Yep. Well, I'm asking you the In the Black podcast the question. My wife and I have adopted two black sons, almost seven and three years old. I, of course, don't think of them as adopted, but it is of relative and key importance in their lives. We make efforts to have the boys engaged in their black culture where we live, worship and work are at least partially influenced by the racial makeup of our family, as are some of the activities and groups we've had the boys participate in. I have a lot to learn about raising my sons just in general and as a proud black man. You all have uh, you all have the pandemic to thank for reaching out to you. I had set up some time to speak with a black man from our uh, multicultural church about some of these issues. Anyways, COVID came, plans got scuttled, and I had more time to read, pray, and study. This is when I found the pod. What I really want to know is, what do I need to know? 
besides the love and respect a father shows his son, what do I need to try to pass on to him that this white guy who grew up in a snow white rural town doesn't know about growing up as a young black man in America today? Um, we're going to let our guest go first. What's going sure. on, Pastor Thomas? What you got? Um, <laughs> hi. <laughs> we put George Jackson in the screen. So the first thing I'm gonna tell you to do, uh, my good white listener, my good white uh, white Nubian brother, I don't know how to how to do this because you're white. Um, stop talking to the multicultural black people at your church, okay? Because uh, they gonna tell you wrong. I've not met anybody at a multicultural black church is gonna tell you right that understand remotely blackness. And so I'm going to say, uh, find somebody else to talk to. Um, the second thing I would tell you is, keep it funky. Come on. Did you did you did you think about all this for you adopted black kids, or was you watching something that you decided to adopt black kids? Because uh, this 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 got all the making of, of foolishness and and, and and shenanigans. Um, Why you say that, man? Pet, you you didn't they're not they're not chia pets they're not cats they're not uh any of that and so i would find i, I first thing i would do is say stop talking to the multicultural black person at your church number one second of all i would find somebody to help you mentor those boys yeah. somebody a teacher uh of the barbershop so that means you got to take them to the local black barbershop they got to be inundated in black culture you cannot give them, and I mean authentic black culture. You cannot give them a whitewashed black culture where all they get is Dr. King and Rosa Parks in February and you think you did your, your part. Uh, they got to have black friends. Like, you got to be immersed in the black experience, which means you're going to have to give up some of your privilege. You're going to have to journey with us. You're going to have to come off of the mountain, come on down. You're going to have to eat guy rolls and pizza puffs. Like, it's, 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 if you want them to be black, it got to be a thing. Um, <laughs> You know, you got to watch the old roots, not the new roots. You got to watch the old roots. And so, because right. <laughs> oftentimes when white folks, we don't talk about this, when white folks adopt black kids, Come they, on. They, you know, something happened. They, Trump made everybody crazy. So this, he ran out and adopted two black kids. On the one hand, I say thank you because at least the babies ain't in the system. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, though, that part, you, you, you kind of, <clears throat> you got to be willing. You can't straddle the fence. And even as he was, I was reading his letter. My chaplain lens was like, "It's a dude that want to straddle the fence. You want to raise him to be black, but, but. black is safe to white." Nah, man, you got to let them little homies listen to some NWA. You gotta, you gotta find a local chicken shop in your community. You gotta go to a black barber shop. You need to find you a good because I'm AME. I got a plug. You need to find you a good AME church where the pastor preach like this and in the Lord. You can't. <laughs> Be there with them with, with the pastor talking about, and then Nehemiah said the Negro, I mean the black. So, like, if you want the black, you got to give the black, right? You can't give them the Lotus, Ot the, the Lawrence Otis Graham, you don't Ooh, let out your and curse. You can't give them that. So, I'm done. <laughs> Crush. Um, I mean, I, I know it's kind of hard to speak on since I'm not a parent, but I'm in complete agreement with our guest. Um, you know, he would have to, you'd have to know, he has no choice but to, you know, to, but to offer an unfiltered lens on who they really are. 
um, you know, this, and uh, he, he can't sugarcoat it. <coughs> you know, that's not going to be easy, of course. But you know, this is a this is the world that he's choosing to, to dive in. So he's going to dive in, you know, head first, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to he's going to have to. He's going to have to. There's no, there's no, there's no, you know, multicultural churches. You know, to 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 to, to be ambiguous about the situation. You know. Hmm. Go ahead, L. I know you've been biting your tongue. No, man. I'll be I'm be keeping a buck though. I am uh, disappointed with this brother from the gates, uh, just because you didn't do the necessary work before you adopted these two black boys like there's a whole bunch of stuff that you should have done and had in order before you brought two black males into your home there's some shit that you should have had already straightened out you should have already you're had talking you're talking it but you're not giving details give details i'm not white i don't i don't know what should he what do you think he should have done i don't think he should have adopted these two black boys if he didn't have a plan from the gate let's start there purely from a racial dynamic because i'm assuming that this man is married to a white woman lives in a predominantly white town a predominantly white culture you're taking two boys with trauma okay don't don't leave the trauma component out of it with trauma into a new lily white environment with new trauma and you didn't have a therapist in place you didn't already figure out you know already had things lined up you could have had a therapist lined in place you could have already had mentors lined up place you could have already went to your local community organizer activist who is putting work in the local black community to say hey i'm trying to do this but the problem that we have when we deal with these types of things is white folks often make these types of choices in the, the guise of good intentions, but their whiteness is actually leading them to the place that they're trying to go. At, he should have, before he made this decision, and again, I don't want to hear anybody talk about, you know, black folks, you know, not adopting and all these different types of things, because again, there is a component of adopting that is financial. It's not an easy thing. It's not you just showing up and saying, I want no, to go no, it's not. Kid. It's, it's no, a it's whole nother systemic issue. But my concern is the boys are already there. You've already adopted them. Now you're trying to figure out, and I hope it works. So things that he can do now, barbershop. If you take them to supercuts, they're going to hate you for the rest of your life. Don't do it. Find you a hood, you know, a hood safe shut, black shut barbershop to go to where you have to sit in your uncomfortability as a white dude in a predominantly <laughs> black male space and listen to black men express themselves and express their blackness in order for your two boys to get what they're going to need to be successful in a dominant white environment. But my concern is, bro, like, why the fuck you ain't have all this shit in place before you adopted these kids? Like, why are you waiting until now? And I'm not giving you a round of applause for, for, you know, you figuring it out or trying to do it now because, again, white folks have the ability and the opportunity to do this type of shit. They have this opportunity to get into a position where 
they can fix it as they go along. Black folks ain't afforded that. So, bro, I just, you know, listen, in all sincerity, you know, if you really want to have a conversation with this about this and you want to try to figure out a way to help these two little boys, bruh, reach out to In The Black. I will send you books. I'll communicate with you. I'll walk you through. I'll give you a curriculum, a specific curriculum for these two boys to be successful. I'll help you plug these two boys into a community near you in order for them to be successful. But you have to own the fact that you should have had this shit in place long before you signed them adopt the papers. And here's here's where the tale is, and I, I, I pay you back with Elgin. As you all indicated, adoption is a systemic thing. It's a process. You don't just show up like on the movies, like Annie and pick an orphan out. So this this all started, I want to say maybe three or four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, this process. It wasn't until things got bad where you had to confront your whiteness recently that you were like, oh, oh damn, I got well, black sure. kids. I have. So I agree with Elgin and no point did you consider when you decided to make this white liberal uh and people know me know i ran about white liberals all the time this white liberal gesture of i'm gonna take the little colored children in you didn't you didn't contemplate that right at no point did you say i need to find a worship space that's authentic to them so that's what i'm saying like you're gonna have to step out of your whiteness you're gonna have to uh you know i i teach through parables and popular Elgin knows this popular mm-hmm. pop culture. And there's one of my favorite shows is Roots, both the old the old one and Roots the Next Generation. And this white teacher in the next generation marries a black teacher and gets put out of the white community. And now he gets to see what it's like to be a nigga. So he can't stay. He got put out the big house. His daddy like, you a nigga to me. I don't think I'm going to do is not let them lynch you, but I don't want to see you. Don't come by. And so, <clears throat> but the white guy learns some lessons, right? Because there's this pivotal moment. He's talking to one of the characters, I think it was Tom, and, and he said, I can never tell my wife that what I gave up to be with you all, I could never say that. Like he's having this moment where he realizes that he had, if in order to love his sister, he had to give all that up. And so what I'm saying is brother, you need to be in a black church at a black school with a black barber. You need to feed them babies pizza puffs. Uh, you need to feed them babies. Uh, Get them kids uh, do rags, you know, Kool-Aids, Cheetos, like you gotta give them the, the entirety of the black experience. You can't be like, you know, when 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 Louis Farrakhan come on the TV, you can't rush and change it and stop talking to that Negro at your church. I'm begging you. Please. You want to do one? Please do not. He black in the multicultural church. He ain't black. Stop talking to him. <laughs> come on, I mean, listen. I'm dying to hear this. Is this is going to be great? Come on. Now nah, you guys have already said the said the bulk of it, man. Um, Carmen said he ain't gonna listen no more after this. Nah, it's probably it's probably right. She's sorry, Tom. I can't believe they said uh, that. I just thought what Dr. King said. <laughs> nah, he's probably probably right. But nah, in all honesty, man, my like like you said, I think the biggest part for me, honestly, is first and foremost the fact that they're able to get their children out of the system. I had an opportunity several years back uh, to do mentoring uh, in our city and. Um, the number of kids in the system, it, it is, it's heartbreaking. Sure. Um, but at the same time, like Elgin said, you are the preparation for bringing those kids or dealing with the trauma that comes with being in the system. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that you haven't, but I didn't see anywhere in the letter that says that you prepared for that. 
because that portion alone is going to be the biggest hurdle, the biggest roadblock that you're going to have to face in getting those boys not only to adopt black, be, adopt being black within a white structure, so to speak, but also to feel a level of trust between you and them. It's not necessarily just about love and being able to feed them and clothe them and shelter them. There's a lot that goes into that. How you interact with them is pivotal. I know folks that they grew up in a two-parent household, their parents fed them and clothed them, but that emotional component and dealing with that, the psychological portions of it really became a barrier between them and their their parents. So being able to, the, to actually face the trauma that they've been dealing with before being adopted is another huge portion. Overall, you're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to lose some of your discomfort. Like that's already been said, you're going to have to put your place, you're, you're going to have to put yourself in black spaces frequently, often and on a regular basis over and over and over again. If you're really true about allowing these kids to adopt their black culture and be their true black selves. I know you want to, I know this comes from a place of, I hope it comes from a place of genuity and something of a level of trying to do the right thing. But at the same time, there's a lot more work that goes into it than what you expressed doing prior to when you wrote this letter. So I can't I can't I really questions, bro. Like, why do you I know pick two black kids? Why do you pick two black boys? Have you deconstructed your theology? You know, all these different types of things pop up into my mind when I hear about white folks adopting black kids. And I'm gonna keep it a buck. To me, it's it's always a red flag. That shit makes me cringe. Why do you believe it's a red flag? Because I'm the, I don't think I'm always leery and lean on the side that white people are not prepared to do what is necessary to raise strong black children. What they the don't level, they actually know what that means. It, you it, hear it, they don't know what it means. The level yeah, of what they yeah, have to do. And then the other side about this, the thing is, they always have the option to go back to whiteness. That's that's the, the, the component. True. Like they can Very go true. back to that shit at any moment. That shit just makes me cringe, yeah. man. And if and they fool those kids and they thinking they can do it too. Yeah. And, but when you look when you consider the history Right. There's there's also an undergirding of history, if I can switch hats, where white people have always claimed ownership of black bodies. Uh, white people have always claimed ownership of black children, uh, even in slave times. Uh, that's how Nat Turner learned to read, right? The ma the mistress takes an interest in him. Yep. So yep. takes him from his family. Now we Needed can say, well, about steel, yep. but there was an attempt to indoctrinate him into being a native elite. But no one would call that a native elite. And luckily for us, it flipped on him and he became who he was. But there's always this motif. And white folks think that they can literally screw racism away. They can adopt racism away. They can, we can all be in this, this, we can all play together. This, I'm just a human being kind of thing. And I promise you, he was going to raise them boys and he can reach me. I'm, I'm Pastor Thomas at Bethlehem mm -hmm. and Champagne. We can talk about it. I'm like Elgin. We can talk about it. You was gonna raise them boys multi colorblind, me and your white wife, and 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 and, and you probably El uh, go one better. He probably only have a white wife. He got a Latino wife, so he was trying to oh, make shit. this UN, this UN family. Pastor <laughs> <laughs> Thomas already oh. gave his email address. He's gonna make sure to give Man, that's, that's, you know that's a whole nother layer. That's a whole nother layer. If you do married to a white woman, I I I I I, I, I donate fifty dollars to one of y'all charity. 
Probably not. <laughs> so he he want to make this rainbow UN thing. January sixth, that was a wake up call for a lot of them. And then he looks up at his babies in the morning and like, oh shit, I got black kids. Wow. Now, I want the pastor to go ahead and elaborate a little bit on why you say don't interact with these multicultural black folks in the church. The funky, tell them. Fair enough. They punk. I'm trying not to cuss because I put Reverend in my name. I wasn't thinking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you just showed up as Thomas, Terrence Thomas, you would have been straight. You, you got to uphold yourself tonight. So the, the, the thing is uh, with the multicultural churches is that they're not multicultural. They are white with multi-racist, multi-ethnicity. If they were multicultural, you get some Albertina Walker the same kind, the same frequency. You get Hillsong. If they mm. were multicultural, we'd be talking about Renita Weems at the mm. same mm. presence. We talk about John Piper, whoever they uphold. The fact of the matter is, they don't. They center whiteness. They center white theology. Black becomes ornamental. People of color mm. become mm. ornamental, mm. and it, it appeals to a certain type of black person. So again. Raising another $50 to whoever's favorite charity. The black person he talks to probably has a wife that's not black because uh, them Negroes that go to the multicultural church, they love not being married to black people, black wives. They got little, little mixed babies, little mulatto babies. And so he's giving him this Eurocentric lens. The black guy's giving him the lens that he wants and affirming the white centering, right? Now, there's a 5% possibility I could be wrong. 5% possibility Elgin could be wrong. I'm willing to bet harder on American cash that I'm not. And so he he's coming from this place where, you know, look, look, you, you did a good thing. Uh, I'm gonna give him some names. So he goes to 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 to, to Earl. Hey Earl, I got I got uh, I got Chaquan and Ray Ray. I I, I adopted them. <laughs> and Earl, like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I understand what you're trying to do. I I told Amy if she made the, the seasonless eggs this morning, like, you know, I was proud. And so we have to just break this racism down. Now, you don't know who's who. This is black man and white man talking. They talk the same. And see, this is what Shut Jesus talked about. God. Jesus talked about. And, and you know, Paul said that no, Parents wants all the smoke tonight, dog. <laughs> there's no, 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 no free or slave. And so, you know, you don't want about those Black Lives Matter guys. And I, I don't want that. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, People, black folks in multicultural churches, they got a bit in a slant. Uh, mm. they, they, they're very anti-black or they hide behind black exceptionalism or they're they're angry at the black church. And so they ran and tried to find a refuge in the one place you can. And so if he really wants to talk to somebody of faith who is black, then you don't go into a white centered space. Right. You Thanks. find. You find the AME Church. You call, you you could bring them to Chicago. Let them visit in Trinity United Church Christ. Make it a weekend trip. Like you put them in an authentic black space, black worship space where where the, where the choir stomping. Okay, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you this then. Can you do you think that he could? Uh, do you think that he could efficiently do that without changing his place of worship? No, that's what it's going to require. That's if, 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 if he's centering these children like he's like his letter suggests he wants to do and he wants them to be raised black, I'm arguing he got to give up his white privilege. He has gotta to do like the character and roots. He got to He got to come on down out the big house. He got to live on the quarter. He got to go to the market with the niggers. He got to do all of that. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> 
All right. Well, we want to thank William for taking the time out to send his letter. We know that this, good, be, this, this, this might be the last time that he listens, but we uh, we appreciate the letter either way. And even though we know you're not going to listen no more, I'll still send you an In the Black Podcast t-shirt either way. Uh, if you want to get the your boys one, send the boys. Send you know what? You know what? Uh, we do have we yeah. do have small let's, sizes. Let's I'll send, I'll send two for the boys. Do that. Yeah, and if I see him on the Christian post talking about this podcast, I'm a clown him because I troll him. He's gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you want to get your comments shared on the show, we we love hearing conversations like this. Please, so if you got comments, questions, and all those sorts of things that you want to share, please go ahead and message us at in the black podcast at gmail.com or you can send your uh, messages to Facebook or Instagram. We're always we're always watching, we're always listening. Now, last week we jumped into a conversation about Judas and the Black Messiah. And we're going to try and elaborate on that some, especially given who our guest is, Chicago's Chicago's own Terrence Thomas. So we want you, we want to go ahead and get this thing squared away. Um, last week, like I said, we did watch Judas and the Black Messiah. We had a lot of questions. It was the conversation surrounded more so the soundtrack and the possibilities of what this film could be and so on and so forth. But now the film has released, came out last Friday. Uh, I'm assuming that most of us have watched it, if not all of yeah, us have see. watched it. What are your thoughts? We're going to let the guests go ahead and start off first once again. So Judas and the Black Messiah, I absolutely love. I'm going to start with what I love, and then I'm going to start with, with, with where I struggle. So I thought it was a, a beautifully aesthetically done film. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was, it was it, it encapsulated, at least in my, my opinion, Fred Hampton, his movements, his style, his politics. Fred Hampton was one of the least problematic, probably the only non-problematic Black Panther. Hmm. So Fred Hampton wasn't, wasn't the one trying to screw everybody, wasn't the one trying to rape everybody, didn't do drugs. Fred walked and talked the revolution. I think they did a great job in talking about the love story between him and Akur. That was uh, beautiful. and Jerry. I think that's what she yeah, thought. That's now. what she changed her name sure. down. Uh, yeah. And Jerry. I knew her when I was younger, met her a few times when I was at Olive Harvey. Beautiful sister, powerful sister. Uh, I think he did a great job at that. I think he did a great job in showing the length and breadth in which Hoover's Pro campaign Beautiful. targeted uh, black people, especially during the 60s and 70s. Now, be clear, that's when it escalated. Hoover had been at the black folks since Garvey. Long so we talk in the twenties, so people forget how long Hoover was in place in FBI and how Hoover much he had hand in. FBI director, he, yeah, he serving. only person. Um, to have Hoover, do it, yeah. Hoover really ran the country to some extent. Yeah, so yep, yep. The sixties and seventies is when he he pulls out his penis and just pisses on everything. Right. Yeah, Poli he uh, had every every politician shook in America. Man, he had folders uh, on everybody. As a quick aside, until Richard Nixon came, who was a bigger gangster, every and president bigger file. It was Nixon that was like, man, I'll whoop your... So <laughs> I think it encapsulated that part of the movement. Uh, I think it, it, it showed the, the complexity of the Chicago Police Department. And out of all the Black Panther movies, I'd rank that number two. The first one would be Roger, Roger Guinevere Smith, One Man Show Huey. You ain't got Beautiful. no better than that. Beautiful. Then I'll rank this one. And then there's a couple other that, that talk about the Panthers. What about that Black Panther documentary that actually came out maybe about a year, two years ago? It's just called Those Black Panther. Those are documentaries. I'm talking about historical biopics. Biopics. Okay, I get you. Okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. So, uh, like, it's on par with that. 
Now here's where I struggle. One, it was filmed in Cleveland. I'm a I'm a Chicago person through and through. If you go I didn't tell know the story that. about mm-hmm. my city, you need to do it the way folks did the wire in Baltimore. That's why I hate the shy. That's why I hate the huh. shy. Uh, wow. Hold up, the shy's not done in Balt in uh, Chicago either. What? It's film is it's it's not Chicago. Lena, whatever, grew up in Evanston. She was a sub- suburban girl that wrote about Chicago and I'm real, I clown suburban Negroes and Negroes not from Chicago telling stories about my space. I got all the smoke for that. That's um, it wasn't, Damn. it wasn't authentically Chicago. There's no 75th in Madison, 75th of <laughs> East and West. Madison also runs East and West. So there's Chicago's built on a grid, right? So it wouldn't have been a 75th in Madison. Um, Cause that, that those streets would never intersect anywhere in the world. Uh, my biggest problem is twofold. First of all, it does it discredits the Chicago Police Department's culpability in the murder. I can give that. Hoover, the Cointel Pro definitely kicked it off, but that was all Chicago Police Department planning, execution, and et cetera, from beginning to end. And I think that they got an ugly pass, and we we could have done a great job, especially in this era of Black Lives Matter saying. The police killed Fred Hampton. Now, yeah, did perfect. the FBI authorize us, set it up, hype it up? Sure. Yeah, but we got to name names and we got to uh, call things out. So we got to say sure. unapologetically the Chicago Police Department, under the encouragement of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, murdered Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. Second thing is that though I don't have a problem with it being O'Neill's story, because the name of the movie is Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, it is Judas oh, they're, and the Black they're, they're clear on who's the center and who's the periphery. I have a problem with them humanizing Ooh. William Hill. Now, when you, you are, say when you say humanizing, what do you mean specific? And I, I mean, so, I want you to give I want you to give some detail. So, for example, I, my 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 undergraduate degree, associate's bachelor's in African American studies. I eat, breathe, live this shit. I'm gonna just say it that way. Uh, I know Panthers. Uh, I have mentors who were there. Uh, and what white people are great at is separating us from our history. So this story has already been told some 20, 30 years ago on Eyes on the Prize 2, the very first episode in which they talk about Fred Hampton. And so O'Neill in this interview openly states a number of things. One, he he saw the Panthers, he was intrigued, but he thought they were going to get a lot of people killed. Two, he was 17. He made a decision to inform because he caught a federal charge. Yep. So it wasn't that he just stole a car. He ran across state lines. I think he had somebody in the car with him. Yeah, That's he, how Roy Mitchell gets involved because he's to get him with kidnapping. wasn't checking for no regular car thief. Yeah. You have a fair charge, and when they ran you through the system, the fair said, okay. A couple of other points, and then I'm going uh, to go into as, as I unpack it. O'Neill is clear that he didn't have an anguish in his emotional struggle that the, the, the producers had. If you watch his original interview and his his subsequent, that's and that's the only interview he ever did. Mm-hmm. He was like, man, I ain't figured out until a couple of weeks later what had happened. Like, I was just giving them information and getting paid. So he wasn't having this angst and this emotional turmoil of like, oh my God, I'm setting Fred Hampton up. No, nah, man, he, he, he did it. And on top of that, he continued to inform years after, after the fact. Now, yep. what may have happened? Just like I regret some of my baby mamas, he might have got uh he might have got to a place in life where he thought about it, he looked about it, and he said, you know what? I, I struggle. Isn't that so, why he ultimately committed suicide? Isn't that right? Right. But I but I but, I, I have a theory but, about that. But, but, because but. if you look at Judas and the Black Messiah, 
they aired unaired parts of that interview. And Henry Hampton, rest his soul, I thank him for not airing that bullshit. So he talks about, I was in the movement. I took a side. No, you sided with the FBI and the police. You didn't, right. you weren't a Panther. You weren't informant. When he talks about, he didn't know how history would judge him. History had already judged you at that already point. Right? Yeah. So I think that even scenes where he's having this existential crisis, uh, existential crisis, that that was dishonest. So yeah, didn't I have think much that eyes on the prize too aired, and he saw that it painted him in the appropriate and light. Then snapped him, and that's yeah. what he said. Because yeah. I know my city, and once that aired, and people really figured out who you were, you were finished. So he lights out, nigga. Uh, yeah. Now, as a as a reverend, let's stick with the title, Judas and the Black Messiah, and I'm gonna shut up. Judas and the Black Messiah, in every telling of the the story of Judas and the Messiah, Jesus, who was a Black Messiah. In every telling, you see Judas get his comeuppance, right? Mm, always. Judas did, according to scripture, Judas did realize he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Judas did try to get the money back. But every storytelling shows Judas gives a comeuppance. Why? Because that provides us a sense of satisfaction that you got what you deserve because you sold out somebody that didn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. You sold out the leader. You sold out the Messiah. You sold out a man that was healing the sick and raising the dead because mm -hmm. he didn't do what you wanted him to do. We don't get that satisfaction in this movie. I'll give you that. We, we get some postscripts, but I would have given all my money, I would have given all my action figure collection to see that Negro get hit by a truck. Because Facts. Now, you said all your action to say, and then the last point, they were 17 and 21. We all know and agree that the elders were at a different maturity level than we are. So his 17 is equivalent to our 25. So he, he knew what he was doing. Uh, and will we give him this grace if he murdered or raped somebody, right? Nope. No. So I, I I think that where this movie went wrong was in trying to tell a story. It's even even calling him Bill O'Neill. Bill is short for William. Bill is a friendship term. Bill O'Neill is that. not a friend of black folks, was not a friend of black folks. He is William O'Neill. He's Mr. O'Neill. But <laughs> trying to make him cool like uh, Bill O'Neill is such a guy. No, I'm not doing that. That's William O'Neill the traitor. And yeah. so I think that when we we talk about it now, Elgin and I we we we, we debated. We went back and forth. And about I think it, sure. that these movies are good because what it should do, brothers and sisters watching, it should make you take your ass to the library, get and a get library a book. book. Mm -hmm. It should make you uh, you so you should be reading. For example, I was just looking at this uh, to die for the people, selective writings of Huey Newton, where he talks about this kind of stuff. You need to be. You should need to get. Black Panthers for Dummies. You need to get Shadow of the Panthers. You need to get the Black Panther Speaks. You need to get uh, Charles Jenkins. If I didn't want to stand up, uh, the Black Panther Party reconsidered. Kathleen Cleaver's Imagination Liberation in the Black Beautiful. Panther Party. Right. I'm calling out books. You should be writing them down that you should be reading and learning about who the Panthers were. That's where this thing is great. But we also got to do this work and unpack where the propaganda comes in at. Yeah. And oh, that's before where you, before you continue, before you jump in, L, uh, and I hope hopefully you can expound on this as you're giving your, your point. Um, before the movie was actually done, both Shaka King and the Lucas brothers actually did go to Fred Hampton Jr. and the Black Panther pups as a Mia, I don't want to say Mia Copa, but as a, a bonding portion and asked them for their blessing before starting the movie. And Fred Hampton, actually, Fred Hampton Jr., excuse me, said that they were good, they were good with it. That though the movie at the end of the day did not represent the 
social did not give all of the details of the social political movement that Fred Hampton stood for, that he understands that it was a film and it they still he was still comfortable with it. How do you digest that? I digest it from the standpoint that you are looking for your father's revolutionary story to be told to the masses that you want it to get out there that and very much like like tlt said the aspect of the expectation that once you get a glimpse of what took place on the screen that a seed will be planted yeah planted and you will go and i think like like tlt said that me and him got into a you know a little discussion about it because i share my frustration very much like I shared the frustration on the show when we talked about One Night in Miami, uh, how I express how I'm tired of these type of movies, but I'm beginning to not soften, but understand a little bit more why and the responsibility that we have when we watch these particular movies. We should expect that we're never going to see a Black-focused, Black-centered, Black-taught, Black-explained, Black-acted movie about one of our revolutionary heroes that should be something that we should all have within our understanding so what should we do in response to that when one of these movies come up when they continue to come up because these movies make money people watch these movies how do we as the community as the pastors as the community activists as the podcasters what is our responsibility in watching these particular movies now we have a level of responsibility to get accurate information that actually took very much like TLT did when he ran through all those different things that actually took place. So the movie, I really enjoyed the movie, uh, knowing the outcome. Knowing After all that bullshit to, you was talking, you really enjoyed the movie? All, all what bullshit? Because you was you you had nope. some choice words, and we've had the conversation off air that you had some choice words about the movie, and it hadn't even dropped yet at that time. So you actually enjoyed the movie after you saw why it. Did, hold on, why the fuck you mean I can't watch, have choice words and then change my mind when I watch? Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not gonna hate on you. Go ahead. Like, talk, I can't. Talk, I can't actually change tongue. my mind. Talk your no, I'm I good. actually thought the movie compared to some other movies. Like you know, I wasn't a really a big fan of some of the other joints that came out, but this particular one, couple of things I really enjoyed about this particular movie. I love the relationship between Fred Hampton and his lady. Yeah, I love yeah. the balance of seeing strong black love on screen. I love to see the way they appropriately gendered this movie. There was there was very little or none that I can recall. I didn't see any misogyny. I didn't see any. I saw black women on the screen in powerful, strong positions. And I thought that was beautiful. Something that was been lacking in movies. I also found, I found Fred Hampton. I've always found him incredibly captivating and underappreciated mm. because of what he was able to do at a young age where he was and in the method and knowing the history of the Panthers, how a bunch of them cats, you know, we can hold them up as heroes, but they had some trash ass thought process and yeah, trash ass yeah, actions that should be talked about a little bit more. So I love the fact that we got a chance to see Fred Hampton on the screen in that manner. And actually the conversations I've had afterwards with people who are not familiar with Fred Hampton, who didn't know, 
the history. All they know about the Black Panther Party is the free breakfast program. Yep. And they don't even have a full understanding of the of what that entailed. Yep. of what that entailed. So it gave me the opportunity, someone who loves to educate folks on this type of shit, to have those type of conversations. But I went into it thinking and having the same conversation, the same struggle that I have with all these black movies. There's a level of propaganda that all of these movies have. And as someone who has a high reverence of our ancestors, that shit irks me and it frustrates me. So I wrestle with that type of shit when I see these type of movies. But I overall enjoyed this particular movie. The the, the William O'Neill component, I had the same issue. I felt like they tried to humanize dude by casting a great, a one day soon to be outstanding actor in Lakeith. He did a phenomenal job in that role. Uh, he was absolutely stellar. But I didn't like the humanizing. I didn't like the way that it showed, you know, that he has some emotion and he was wrestling with some turmoil. No, this motherfucker was a savage. He was a selfish ass savage who was very aware of every decision that he made. It, there was no misunderstanding. There was no, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Nah, if they would have done that, it would have been so much more better. But again, I liked it. I'll probably watch it a couple more times because for me, I can't wait to get a chance to watch it with my daughters mm, because mm. it's a great opportunity mm. to give some context to what we're facing now. It, it's just, for me, it's a wonderful curriculum on blackness so i'm excited about that component mm -hmm. i enjoyed the movie i didn't really think about it in terms of the humanizing of him i the reason why i didn't think about it in the humanizing portion is because when you the fact that we actually know the story behind fred hampton and william o'neill you automatically recognize that this was a movie done for a lot for larger consumption mm -hmm. you're not going to get this from an independent movie um, so I didn't have as much strife or beef with Shaka King or the Lucas brothers as many people have for not completely telling the, the true story. Yeah, but once again, I'm not going to go to HBO Max for this, for them to give me the true story of who Fred Hampton is in the story of William O'Neill and what he did to the Black Panther Party. Um, I loved how they, once again, I loved how they portrayed that relationship between him and his, and, uh, sister Najiri. I thought that that was incredible, especially one of the most impactful portions of the movie for me was when he had just come home and he read her diary and he was talking about, well, you want to give your life for this. Does your life really mean much? Or what does your life mean at this point now that you know that we have somebody along coming along the way behind you? Like, do you still want to give your life for this knowing you got something else to live for besides the people? I think that that's a struggle that a lot of folks like us have when we talk about the the relationship that we have with our own personal families and the family that we call the larger family, our black people, and how how those things balance out. I thought that that was incredible. And I thought it was just beautifully shot overall, the direction and everything. Shaka King, this is not his first movie, but I thought that this was his best movie. I didn't anticipate this from the Lucas brothers because they're usually, they're comedians. I didn't expect them to tell something more serious per se, but that's the way I, I looked at it. The one thing that it was that was really compelling to me was when he comes home from jail and he's walking up the steps and all of the people are in the auditorium and he stands up to the podium 
and he begins to talk and he says, you know, I am a revolutionary. For a lot of people, that's a, you know, nothing more than a call and response, a chance, you know what I mean, to get people hyped. But that was so much more than just that. It was him stating the importance of understanding the position that each person in that room has to be in. Like, as we say, I'm a revolutionary, bro. You need to understand what comes the sacrifice God, and the man, level that you've got that to be able to. And, and, and I'm telling you, a lot of folks who are out in the streets trying to put in work for black folks, they are not revolutionary. But, it, but I mean, not. I don't think so. But I think when you, when you come into conversations like that, we don't understand. I mean, sometimes my, I don't know if I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to butcher the saying, but you know, sometimes there's a saying that says your, uh, your eyes were too big for your stomach, right? That you go out into the field and you think that you're doing something, but when you get into the thick of it, it's more than what you can handle. And I don't know that a lot of people are necessarily built for it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it has to start from somewhere, but, and, and I think that hold hold on, uh, Rev crush. I know you didn't watch the movie or get an opportunity to finish the movie, I should say, but what do you, I mean, given what we've discussed now, what do you, what do you think? Do you, do you think that we're ever actually going to even get a satisfying biopic in the mainstream? I mean, that's hard to say. I mean, the, uh, the industry is opening up a bit on the independent level. Um, and I would like to think that these platforms, I mean, I've heard the excuses about the concept behind, behind, behind the movie. Um, and we're likely, we're likely to hear a whole bunch more with, uh, other, other, uh, other black projects. Um, but I am hearing a lot of good things about this particular film, um, in terms of what, uh, in terms of certain names. So I do, I do look forward to ingesting that, but, um, you know, could it happen? It's, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the medium, the technology, um, is allowing for more freedom for that possibility. Um, but, uh, looking at, you know, like you said, you know, it was clear that there were aspects of the film that were made for larger consumption. That for some reason they couldn't digest the idea of a of a of a black villain doing this to black other black people or something, even though they do it all the time. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you, you want to choose to twist dynamic now? I don't know why, but um, but maybe that's what's appetizing. I don't know. Maybe that's what's marketable. I'll see. But the, the possibility is there. It's, 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 it's kind of hard to say. It's, it's, I'm gonna t- take a, I'm gonna take a leap and say that I think the Lucas brothers chose this way of telling the story because they needed to find a way to be different from all the other Fred Hampton joints out there. Nice no, no, no. It sounds How many times have we seen the story of Fred Hampton? Okay, he fa- quit, can't, uh, couldn't tell pro and facing Hoover. We've seen that before. What has what's going to separate well, this we movie from the though, right? We haven't seen. We haven't. We, seen no, we haven't. We haven't. Uh, no. we, oh, the only time Fred had like, I mean, in terms of a, maybe a biopic, I'm talking about documentaries and so on. But go ahead. You're right. Go ahead. A true biopic. So yeah. we got to understand, and I, I, I like something that Eldrin said at the beginning of of, of this about capitalism. Um, the truth is, brothers and sisters, if if it comes through Hollywood, it is going to be what it is. And so we have to make a choice because we cannot have it both ways. You know, we cannot eviscerate the movies um, and then get upset when they don't tell our story. So one of my biggest regrets True is, about that. though Nate Parker is trash, but I should have gone and see Birth of a Nation. 
mm-hmm. and, and then owned that Nate Parker's trash. He was a rapist. He handled it wrong. All of that, but still gave the movie coins because when these folks sit around the room, they don't care about the mess we talking about. Is it going to make money? Yep. Is it going to win us some yeah. Oscars? Can we get yeah. Jay-Z to do the soundtrack? So all this pontificating <laughs> we doing about, yes, yes, yes. Uh, about was it accurate, et cetera. Nope. That's why we went balls to the wall hard for Black Panther because we knew, and Marvel's kind of showing that now. Matter of fact, I love movies. Somebody said you can tell the expectation they had for Black Panther by his screen time in the Avengers Infinity Wars and Endgame. Facts. And so you knew that they kind of wasn't, they thought the movie was going to flop. They thought Ryan Coogler was going to flop. They had no idea. Otherwise, they had to reshot that thing and gave him a bigger role because he literally came off Avengers Infinity Wars, came off the the most epic of the movies, Black Panther. That's what made Infinity Wars so hard for us to swallow because we just had, it was black, it was black life. We just came off of this high and then we got hit in the balls. And so you can tell, right? And so it's it's these moments that we have to balance our expectations. Now, for those of us who are talented in media and movies, then we can we got to get lazy. We got to stop being lazy and go out and tell our story. Henry Hampton got he he sat down and told the civil rights movement eyes on the prize. He knew nobody else would do that. Hmm. He knew nobody else would do that. Uh, as much as Skip Gates irks me, he knew nobody was gonna tell the story nobody about the, the story. church. No, you're right about and that. So at some point, and I'm going somewhere with this, we gotta want either freedom or no. Like new age activism, new age activists, we want liberation without death, we want freedom without work, we struggle we want without salvation pain. without going through mm-hmm. something. I'm gonna preach a little bit. We want to do all of this, and we expect that we can blog and tweet and trigger ourselves into freedom. And they ain't never have freedom work. Freedom always requires sacrifice and death. It requires capital, human, intellectual, financial. It's never, nobody's never going to set you free. And so if we want our stories told, we want our stories told, why, why, why? then we got to build up a studio. We got to put in our money. We got to get behind a, 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 a crush and let, and, and let him film something one day and follow it around and, and support it when he's filling out the back of his truck. Like that's what we got to do. We keep expecting Livingstein and them in Hollywood, you know, even with Harry. Folks got mad mm-hmm. at the Harry, a biopic. I'm yeah. 46 this August. I never dreamed I would see Nat Turner, Harriet, and Fred Hampton in my life. Facts. In that movie. Facts. Malcolm X was the epitome. Malcolm X and Panther Facts. was the highest I thought I was ever going to get. And how many years apart see, are those every, two movies? Every now and then, a story like that slips through. And I'm and I'm convinced that there's an undercurrent of talent out there that can tell that can that can tell our stories a hundred percent purely and get it through the system the way we need them to see them. But we right. need to bring that talent forward. There are those, those storytellers are out there. Those talented writers know how to fool these idiots into making this stuff mass consumable. We all we 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 want the truth. So I think that those writers are out there. I just think we got to take the good with the bad, man. And this is just a this is a, a renaissance, so to speak, with black films that we're now starting to the most of these major industry or uh, film industries are starting to see that it's more profitable. And we're going to get a lot of you're going to get a lot of soul planes along with the stuff that you're looking for. You get what I'm saying? So, I mean, as as it comes oh, along, we'll find a way to flesh it out oh, and oh, figure it out along the way. Oh, oh there, there's, there's going to be a reckoning in film soon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh we're going to give the we're going to give Rev the floor. Uh, we're going to talk about the black church and the future of the black church. 
how we now <laughs> make the balance between the pulpit, Black Lives Matter, and the era of George Floyd and all that other stuff. We putting a lot of heavy shit on your shoulders tonight. Oh, he ready? He ain't ready. Don't he get I don't think he's ready. I don't think he's ready. I, I, I barely get invited to preach now. If it wasn't for Elgin, I'm, I wouldn't, no, <laughs> wouldn't be doing no interview for Black History Month. You know, you know what? You know what? You know what? Go ahead, Pastor. Go ahead and take it over, man. So you, you, when we were talking in the pre, in the pre conversations, one of the questions that came up was the future of the black church, and that that question always interests me because I don't think it's going anywhere ever. The black church is an entity. What, as long as it's black people, there's going to be a black church. As long as the black people that believes in Jesus, it's going to be a black church. I think the better framing of the question is what will be the effectiveness of the black church in the 21st century. Uh, let's, let's take a step back real quick, okay? I know prior to, I asked you the question and told you to hold off on the answer. What got you to say that you were going to de devote your life, not just to Christ, but to the church? Because you could have just been devoted a, a devoted Christian sitting in the pews. You decided otherwise. So what, what stemmed that? Um, a number of things happened. Uh, the long and short of it was I, 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 I've always believed that the work I did in the community uh working for nonprofits always been in, in, had an activist spirit always felt that that was divinely mandated um to have done it and I'm not a super activist I ain't out there on TV you ain't seen me on PBS uh but to been connected and engaged with it for the better part of 30 years or started when I was 16 um that had to be divinely ordered but it was a couple of things and specifically that made me say I needed to get into ministry I had a friend who who attempted suicide and the theological responses to what they were going through just vexed my spirit. trash. I get uh, it. It was trash. Were, were, were abysmal. And so the first thing I said was in order to get them to hear something different, I needed to be part of the clergy class. But as I began to explore like and, and really, really think, I began to look at my life like I've been pastoring on some level. When I when I had them 30 kids in the in the in the job readiness program and they would call me in the middle of the night and talk about and throw my baby mom out the window. Don't throw your baby mom out the window. Listen, I understand I want to throw mine out the window too. But jail ain't cute. It ain't like on Oz, you know. Yeah, no bullshit. You know, don't do that. Uh, I've always been interested in the things of God as, as a fun fact. My parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh and so the Bible and the things of God was always surrounding me and I was always fascinated. And so I just decided to stop running from it. Hmm. I decided to stop looking at it as a binary. Now I'm AME. I'm African Methodist Episcopal. I'm ordained elder in AME church. I pastor in AME church. I irked the AME church. I'll talk about that a little later. But uh, <laughs> I decided to stop trying to separate my, my political from my my theological so like most black folk i had this weird thing where i was theologically conservative but politically mm -hmm. liberal and that gave me migraines because on the repeat one hand, that repeat that one freedom. more time huh repeat that one more time oh like most black clergy i went through this phase where i was politically liberal i believed in everything left of center but theologically i was right of center and that gave me migraines because how can i on the one hand be talking about freedom justice and equality but then saying stuff like gay people was going to hell. Yeah. I had to reconcile that. And so then I, I, I seminary helped me flush that out. So that would be what I would tell anybody. If your pastor ain't seminary trained by an accredited seminary, 
uh, federally accredited and not they made up find you a new pastor um and so it helped me flush that out um right now though i am having uh i am having this in this internal battle because I, I like i said i love the black church i love the ame denomination but my activist side my black city side is starting to, to like kick up in the high gear because i'm seeing a lot of us aren't watching the times if you will a lot of us are a lot of my clergy colleagues still still playing with this thing called black lives and black freedom so you're what so just to go back to what you started off with you don't think that the black church at this point is prepared for a place in the 21st century is that right no so the question is the black church gonna go anywhere can we abolish black christianity all beautiful intellectual exercises but no as long as they're black people as long as they're black people that will believe in a god believe in jesus there'll be a black church yeah the question is are they effective so what do you mean by effective, Reverend Thomas? Are we understanding how to deal with traumas and triggers in the 21st century? How do we deal with it? Uh, we, we, we jagged off an entire generation because we didn't know how to deal with crack babies and crack addiction. We jagged off an entire generation because we didn't know how to deal with gun violence and, and systemic poverty. And so now we're at a place where the children of those people that we left have scars, they have wounds, they have trauma. Do we know how to address that? Do we know how to look internally and say enough is enough? The only system where women do all the work and men uh -oh. get all the rewards is pimping. Uh -oh. And so are we ready to own that we have been behaving like iceberg slims uh -oh. and, 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 and yield power? Are we ready to confront the fact that everything is political? Everything, everything is political. Even the way we see and construct God. And so are we ready now to say Ooh. we need to be... A, we, there's no such thing as a I'm not a political Christian. Hmm. Uh, are we ready to in in look at the people who write our devotional at Bethel AME Champagne? I have a rule. No white Jesus. No white Jesus. If you watch my sermons, I, I talk about that. There are no Clearly, white Jesus. every Sunday. Uh, we don't we don't use stuff from Lifeway. We don't use stuff from the Christian Post. You cannot send my babies. Uh, you cannot send my babies anything from the Word Network or TBN. You cannot send them them coloring books to say stuff like if your parents smoke, they're going to hell. You can't do that. Uh, and so if you need some material that's progressive and and a little bit forward, I got a bunch of it for you. And so are we prepared to have these conversations? I think black clergy has to decide if it's going to be authentic or are we going to continue to put on the airs that once sustained us when we were powerless in American society. And so remember, we were talking off screen. I was saying that a lot of black clergy, men and women, many of them, you, you, you can tell the ones that all they know is the church. That's the only place they've ever had power, a job, yeah. a career, uh, any kind of voice. And you can tell those that have power and stuff other other places. And so are we going to talk about that? Are we going to talk about how sometimes the church is the only place these people feel power? And so we need to uh, we need to have. Uh, we need to talk about all that. So when we talk about the future of the black church, are we prepared for the new world? Theologically, and I'm gonna be quiet so you can ask more questions. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there was something called the tabernacle and there was something called the temple. When the Israelites first were released from Egypt, once God released them and they, they also did their part and walked to their freedom, um, God was found in tabernacles. And that meant God was out with the people. 
and they moved around and they worshiped in community and had these festivals. Then somewhere David gets a bright idea. Uh, I want to build a temple. He, God said, no, but Solomon builds a temple and suddenly worship becomes static. COVID-19. Now, I'm not saying God created pandemic. That's not my theology. But COVID-19 has knocked us out of our temples and, 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 and should have put us back in the tabernacle mode. So these buildings, these edifices, these crowns, these bishops, these apostles, these people that we've exalted up above the divine, above our humanity. COVID said none of that matters no more. I don't give a damn if you're an apostle. If you don't know how to get on Zoom and preach to the people, then you are useless. COVID said, yeah. listen, these big seven million mega church that you built, the law said you can't even go in this building no more. So if you don't know how to go preach on the street corner or walk the community, you're useless. And so God is taking us from temples back to tabernacles. And it's a moment where for us to, to ask ourselves, it's a moment for us to be engaging. How do you minister? How do you minister to a person? I work as a hospital chaplain as a side. They mama died, but they cannot have a funeral. And mm, they cannot. Mm, they can't be you cannot be by their bedside. Yeah. What you gonna tell them that they still blessed and highly favored? What you what you gonna tell them that God wanted another flower? What you gonna tell that little girl? Because Me Too and women empowerment, all of which I'm for, is now calling out the predators. So what you gonna tell that little girl when she come to tell you that your deacon had been molesting her since she was 12 and she's 27? Mm -hmm. what, what what? So are we prepared for this new world? Pop culture mm. reference, and I'm done. My favorite book, one of my favorite books is Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. And in it, Yoda has this epiphany. We have been fighting, we have been training to fight the last war. The Sith were fighting to, training to fight a new war. And so that's how the Jedi got caught off guard. We still training for the old ways and looking for the old Sith. So I'm, yeah. we, we done trained a thousand generations of folks to look for an enemy that's evolved and changed. And the enemy sitting right there in the office with y'all and y'all ain't even noticed. I love, I love, I love Star Wars theology. He's sitting right there because y'all looking for this old wicked Sith with red eyes and a black cape. And he's sitting right there setting y'all up for the, for the kill. And so that's what the church is facing. Are we still preparing? And not just the black church. You see it in HBCUs. Mm -hmm. you see it in black institutions. You see it in every black organization. We still trying to refight the civil rights movement or the golden age after World War II. We're not training to fight the wars of today. And that's why our people are getting killed because you're giving them you, you got them out there with them little flint rifles and folks out here with that. So hold on reading. Uh, yeah, no, that's wrong, Judy. That's wrong theology. The church is absolutely a place for the people to have power. Uh, the, the church is the one place people should have power. People should not abuse power. People should have political power in the church. People should have social power in the church. People should have intellectual power in the mm, church. Mm, mm. And so Jesus never, Jesus said on this, I build my, oh, I right. build my church. But mm. Jesus's entire ministry was about moving people from the periphery from the to the center and giving them power. Right. Now, right. this is a good time to be a nerd. This is what I want you to do, Judy. I want you to go to Amazon. I want you to pick up this book, The Politics of Jesus. Uh -oh. uh, <laughs> I want you to pick up the, <laughs> the Politics of Jesus. I want you to read it. I want you to read it every night, a chapter a night. <laughs> easy read eighth grade level I was damn rev y'all had given homework i see you i see I you she won her I'm life change read that joint nah no you good you good go ahead uh l i listen bro i ain't got shit listen I, I, you know what I, i'm i'm thankful i'm thankful to Thomas, i don't man. listen man, i'm thankful I don't to have, terrence tonight this nope. is one of the few times that he'll shut the hell up mm, go ahead nope. crush i know you got something to say 
You on mute, bro. My bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm very intrigued by uh, what the Reverend had to say, and uh, he, he, you know, it, it does pose a very interesting uh, challenge for, for the future. You know, what place will the Black Church have in the future? Um. And uh, it it should definitely you know, it should definitely not uh, you know be ambiguous about you know our about about our about our struggle and our and our place in society. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely intrigued. And you know what? Real, real quick though, one of the things that I do talk about a lot is black people's of late are unwillingness to seek and build power. Like power is a nasty word. That's something that we don't want to talk about. Diversity, inclusion, and equity is. The, the thing. The what, what are your thoughts? Thing, yeah. What is your thoughts, Pastor, on our unwillingness and our need for power? We don't understand power uh, because power has been used as an oppressive tool. So mm -hmm. uh, when we think of power, when we think of military power, we think of wars of oppression, wars of uh, 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 that kind of thing. When we think yeah. of power, we think obviously white power. Yeah, so subjugation and the rest of it. By virtue of experience, power is bad. That's point one. Point two is politically, uh, we have been taught that uh, we have been taught that as black folks, somehow acquisition of power, especially in the Christian context, is somehow an affront to God, somehow a lack of demonstration of faith. And so we have this weird this weird understanding of power. I think also, and, and, and I'm speaking from Gen Xers on down, of which I am, sure. we don't understand how power works, and we don't understand that power concedes nothing without demand. Well, and so yeah. I'm one of the ones that goose people on Facebook all the time. Listen, the police don't care about your blog, Negro. Nope. I mean, you write it to make you feel good if it's cathartic, but you ain't, this ain't the letter from the Birmingham jail. You, mm. you got the one foot for history, yours ain't gonna be that because they white folks are adaptive creatures, so they get they're immune to it. So that caught them off guard one time, it'll never happen again. Uh so I think that we 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 have been taught, long story short, to hand our power away because we're told the power is bad for us, not for everybody else, but for us. For think us. about the conversations when black power came out. Yeah. Uh, when Willie Ricks first dropped it at, 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 at the march at the March of Freedom. Uh, but hold on, let me let me ask you this, Rev. If that dilemma with how black people see power is a very interesting one, especially within the church, right? If you are if you automatically think that the black church was the birthplace for black business, black schooling, so many different things within the black community, that's in itself uh, an element of power that it had. And it seems as though that's dwindled. Or do you not agree with that? I will, but that's that's not by unintentional design. There's a great video, I'm trying to find it, and I'm going to post it when I find it, called Onward Christian Soldiers. And it talks about the rise of prosperity gospel mm -hmm. and how it was first tested in Latin America, which is another hub of liberation theology in the revolutions of the 60s. And as part of the government, they sent these prosperity ministers to this to these countries in which liberation theology had a stronghold. And what they did was say, listen, we know you want freedom. You're doing all this revolution and fighting, but y'all ain't got no money. You ain't got no boats, no snowmobiles and no skis. 
So maybe it's not the revolution. Maybe it's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you should be worshiping and praising God instead of out here trying to change systems because you ain't going to mm. never change systems. And so that caught on because if I've been a revolution in my country for seven years and we had a stalemate and I'm, I'm struggling to understand, I and here you it. come saying this is what's wrong. So what happened in the black community? We got a lot of that prosperity gospel. So yeah. when we got black folks who literally sit in the church with John Piper and them cats that preached, uh, that preached that the civil rights movement was an anathema to the will of God, they're basically saying y'all did all this fighting and struggling and stuff. Nothing's changed. So clearly it's a personal relationship, which is an old argument. That's what the old people, old Calvinists used to argue to get around it. But the reality is that's not that's not true. And so we're dwindling because we've traded our, our power here for the Hala Boshards and the Sikhanos. So I'm reading Trent. So when I meet a brother like Trent, I'm not surprised nor angry that him and God got beef because I've dealt with a theology that's told me I can't have this on earth. I can't have happiness. I can't have joy. I got to wait till I die or I got to wait till the Holy Spirit give me to speak in the tongues. That's, mm. that's all by intention and design. Uh, but the reality is, Jesus said when, when he was teaching his, his disciples to pray, your will on earth pause as it is in heaven. It's a twofold thing. He told the woman at the well, uh, in spirit, pause, and in truth. Mm. Jesus, in his own ministry, dealt with the physical, tangible needs. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going I'm to I'm teach you. Then he started talking about your soul and your spirit. Yep. In hospital chaplaincy, we're taught. Before you even go in there talking about faith and praying, find out if the Negro got a job when they get out the hospital. Because all that don't do. Hey, man, do you got to don't, do don't do nothing. Don't yeah, do I shit. Man. Hey man, can you I afford your medicine? Because praying is easy. That's the easy part of this thing. Yep. And so, I, when, when I, so when I'm talking about power, I'm not talking about because there's also a different internal power component that I was talking about. But over and against the larger society, we have become been taught in the past 50 years or so. That the pursuit of that kind of power is wrong. Now, interesting enough, white Christians operate in that power. White Christians literally embrace and embody that power. Uh, Constantine, the first white Christian, literally had a, had a thing called In Hulk Signal Venus or In Hulk Signal Walker. In this sign, we conquer the cross. Hey, man, we're going to use this Jesus stuff. We're going to take it from you poor brown people. We're going to use it to conquer the world. Uh, when That's why, you know, when they start having flags in the pulpit and flag day and, and independent day worship service, they mm -hmm. are telling you that their God is aligned with their victories and their conquests. Mm. We're the only one that don't believe that our God is aligned with the victory of the conquest on earth. We do believe that one day when I die, when I'm 80 or 50 or 25, if I run into the wrong, wrong cop, I'll get a reward. That's why we use terms like from labor to reward. Right. That's grounded in that whole slave motif, mm. labor to reward. Mm. We don't talk about power as it is now. We Let me ask you this question then, Rev, as you're talking about that. I think one of the biggest problems that something that Elle and I, I won't say battle with, but we've had this discussion before about black Christians that don't see them, that see themselves solely as Christians in black second. How do you balance or how do you talk about that when you're we in these streets sermonizing and trying to get people to know that there is a connection between your blackness and the church. I often ask them simple questions. And, and, and here, the person that influenced my thinking the most is probably Malcolm X. What happens when the police pull you over? 
one night when you come in from your multicultural church after you don't sing hill song are they gonna say uh, uh, you, you, you're, you're not a christian uh, you're not black you're a christian you know, go ahead or are you gonna be kissing concrete too what happens when you go to work and you've been training all the white boys <laughs> for the past five years and the promotion time come up are they gonna see that you're a christian first or are they gonna see your blackness and so i often ask them to look at society uh I treat them the same way I treat uh, non-voters. You can act like it's not important, but it's, it, decisions are still being made. So mm. when I meet people that say, I don't vote, it's all rigged, I don't care about elections, fair, I respect your decision. And, and, well, I'm not gonna say I respect it, I understand your position, but understand that on November 3rd, there's still gonna be an election, a decision is still gonna be made, and one of them decisions will either slightly improve your life, or-, or slightly downgrade it. No, you're right about slightly that. Downgrade. So it's like saying I don't watch the Super Bowl. I hate when people say that I don't watch the stupid Super Bowl. Well, <laughs> niggas still gonna get played. Whether you watching or not, like yo, you're not watching. So it's the same thing with black Christians. You can act like you don't have blackness or see blackness, but it's still there. Uh walking to the wrong store, you'll see it. Matter of fact, let's be real, walk into the wrong church on a Sunday morning and you'll That's see right. how black you are. So I I I I tell them the fact you can deny your blackness all you want to, but there will come a time. There will come a time where you will realize that your white wife can't save you. You will realize that your heel song can't save you. You're going to realize all of that. And then you're going to have a moment where like, wow, I really have been black this whole time. <laughs> all right. All right. Murder, she wrote. <laughs> right about now is the time that we'd like to give you little tidbits of news or words of wisdom that you can take with yourself into the week. So, uh, L, what's up? I am going to begin doing books every podcast, man. Just pick a book, hold it up, let people read it uh, to get people hopefully more interested in reading. Uh, Malcolm X, The Man and His Times, uh, the foreword by John Hendrick Clark, man, written by Malcolm's friends and closest confidants. Uh, you'll see a deeper, broader uh, story of Malcolm outside of what you'll find in the autobiography. Definitely worth the read, man. Check it out. Okay. Crush, what's up? Um, I want to send a rest in power to Prince Marky D of the Fat Boys, who just passed away on February 18th, the day before his 50th, 53rd birthday. Uh, he uh, had, had a tremendous career, um, big influence on my childhood. Um, yeah, rest in power, brother. Of course, we save the best for last. Rev, what's up? I want to do two things. One, I want to echo Brother Elgin. I was going to do this anyway, but I want y'all to check out a book called The Theology of Net, Theological Account of Nat Turner. This is a book that talks about Nat Turner religious development. This Nat Turner is the person I point to when folks talk about white Jesus, Nat Turner and worship white Jesus. Second, I got to say something because I am watching the comments. I like Sister Judy's energy. But I'm gonna leave her with this. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Ain't none of us converted nobody by arguing uh, God ain't did nothing. The brother say he an atheist, respect it. And then you know what you do to show him otherwise? You show the power and manifestation of God in your life by walking in truth, loving God, loving people. All of the scripture quoting and appalling and gassing. Matter of fact, they don't do nothing but make more atheists. So listen. The brother's an atheist. I respect that. 
So I, I just want to say that because I'm watching y'all exchange, and I'm going to tell you, that's the worst way to evangelize. Worst way to evangelize. Jesus never did that. That's Paul all day. I got to debate you. Mm-hmm. You know what happened to Paul? He got stoned and beat up. Yeah. Yeah. Times. <laughs> God, <laughs> one of my favorite Bible stories is this. I, I, I real, real, real talk. One of my favorite Bible stories, and I'm doing this because the Lord put that on my heart. Paul goes and does this in Acts. He does this miracle. He, uh, Elgin, you know your Bible. Uh, he does this miracle and he starts talking about Jesus. So people are like, oh, press with the miracle, but that stop there. Good job. Paul, keep on talking. Then he started insulting them and you worship an unknown God. And this is why y'all are stupid. And this, and you know what they do? They beat the hell out of Paul. They whip Paul's ass. And so, uh, <laughs> Almost beat him to death. <laughs> Jesus didn't operate like that. Jesus, right, it's all good, Jesus, Jesus tell you what it is. He give you a little something to eat. It's on you. And then he's like, all right, man. I'll holler at you. <laughs> no. So I want you to practice that. When people tell you they don't believe in Jesus, they don't like God, like, okay, that's cool. How was your day? Because you that's the manifestation of God, right? What can I do to make your day better? And so I'm done. All right. Oh, uh, what you got, man? <laughs> What's up for me this week, man? And some of the details coming out, there have been more details coming out about the Quan Bobby Charles case. And they've been, uh, for lack of a better description, they've been riveting, man, to find out some of the the place that the police department took in uh, not, not only like seeming like it, they're covering up for this white friend of his, but also just the ineptitude of not following through with a missing persons case and all this other stuff. It's just been a very, very interesting uh, turn of events. Um, I'm hoping that for for the family of Bobby Charles, that they can finally get justice and put this thing to uh, put this to rest. I know it's never going to bring back their son, but hopefully they can get down to the bottom of it. And uh, like I said, get them some sort of peace and peace of mind. Rev, tell them, Rev, I want to say for you in the comments, bro. They, they are. I want to say thank you for coming on the show, man. taking the time out for coming on and schooling us and talking the talk. Uh, where can the good folks find you if they'd like to find you, man? Uh, you can find me at a couple of places. I'm, I am consecrating for Lent, so I am not active on Facebook. My messenger is up for emergencies, but I'm not active on Facebook. However, you can find me by typing in my full name, Terrence L. Thomas. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at Bethel www.bethelamechampagne.org. Uh, and lastly, if you feel like blessing a brother, because I got action figures, I got Tell family, Dollar uh, Sign, Terrence L. Thomas, that's Cash App. Uh, but if, if you if you can't remember all that, just hit Elgin, Elgin to connect us. Uh, don't do that. Elgin might scoop you. Oh, Elgin might um, scoop your scoop your blessing. Oh, don't worry. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, Elgin already <laughs> giving out his EBT and all that other Scooping blessings. <laughs> My name is Good. Um, Scooping blessings. Those that are interested, we're on YouTube. You can watch our services. We're on YouTube, Bethel AME Champagne, and we have church every Sunday, 9 30 Central Central Time. We are one hour church. We are hour and done. We go over our it's first it's, it's communion Sunday. But other than that, um, I, I hope you come out. Appreciate it. Crush, where can people find you if they'd like to find you, my guy? As usual on uh, Instagram at SP Methods, a.k.a. Bridge or the Orange Crush with a K. No doubt. L, where can the good folks find you if they want to find you? Man, Elgin Bailey across social media, man. Come through. Uh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. 
And I'm Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at MR underscore In the Black. And I want to thank you guys once again for joining us for another incredible episode of the In the Black podcast. Remember, we want to hear from you. Help connect with us across all social media at In the Black, PDCST, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and help support independent black media like this. Make sure you go to our website and check out all the things that we're offering. But until next time, as usual, informed, intelligent, in the black. In the black. In the black. Peace. Peace. This is, this is the In the Black Podcast. In the Black, bro. Hands down, one of the best podcasts I ever heard, though. I like that word. Fredricks, what up? I read a black In the black podcast, that your lad is all facts. He don't like that, the fault fact. In the black podcast, don't talk trash. Switch fast if you ain't wrong, you're all Intelligent elements always relevant. Not for the weak and delicate. This is eloquent excellence. We are setting the precedence. Rest of them are excrement. In the black podcast, the truth like the testament. Don't know, black up E, bro, man, a specialist. So what the podcast broadcast, y'all mess with this. Like said, they're my cheat, who don't read so effortless. I listen, they my learn, when they listen, they my benefit. Reporting, current event, everything that is prevalent. This is so exquisite, a scientific experiment. Giving you the news, not views without evidence. Telling you the truth, sentiments without embellishments. Relax, these are the facts, bringing them to your residence. In your house or your tenement, listen to hear intelligence. Body filled with Melody power that's so settling bright in the stars, bringing some light back to the desolate. In the black podcast, that your lad is all facts. You don't like that, the fuck back. In the black podcast, they fucked up. Who looks like what's black up here? Chuck me down, flop. In the black podcast, that your lad is all facts. You don't like that, the fuck back. In the black podcast, we all lost. They will not let them count, not let them count. Just like that, this is. <laughs> 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 <laughs>